Welcome to Biblical Truth Made Simple. You know, when the king offers you a seat at his table, there really is no excuse. There's no reason you can give for not accepting an invitation by the king. And so it is with Luke chapter 14. Join us as we continue on the road to the cross with excuses. If you look up the word procrastination, and I have in the dictionary, and most of the time I find my own picture. I have been known to have a plethora of excuses for not doing things. This, of course, has, can, and will continue to drive my wife completely insane. When it comes to our invitation to enter the road to the cross, there are no excuses. There is no procrastination. We all seem to have better things to do than to come to Christ when we are called. There are many things in this world that draw us away from Christ, and they are like shiny things to a pack rat, and we find it hard to ignore them. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives us the parable of the banquet. It is filled with excuses. Luke 14, verses 15 through 22. When one of those who reclined to the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, hedges, and compel people to come in, for my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. A man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. In the culture of the time, the people that were invited were invited weeks, if not months, in advance. You see, there's no Facebook, no instant messaging, and not even a mail service. So the actual day of the banquet, on that actual day, people were then informed that it was time to show up, time to celebrate, time to eat. This is important to note because this banquet took no one by surprise. The people of Israel have had 2,000 years notice that Jesus is coming. God had been preparing them for this banquet, for this banquet, for them, and now the day has come. Come, for everything is ready now. Since the beginning of his ministry, Jesus has declared to the people, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 4.17 From the time that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Even hearing this, all they can do is make excuses. We've had even more time, thousands of more years, and we are also invited to the banquet. And like the people of Israel, we find excuses not to attend. In the culture of the time, this was considered an insult by the host. Barclay said in his commentary, this means that many accepted the invitation when it was first given, such as Israel. Israel accepted the invitation to be God's people. Yet when the actual time of the banquet came, they were of a different mind. To accept the invitation beforehand and then to refuse it when the day came was a grave 
insult. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Each of the excuses are lame and hold no merit. Why would you buy a plot of land without seeing it and then go inspect it after you had purchased it? Why would you have bought an oxen without inspecting them? There are two things to learn here. First, we often make excuses that make no sense. Well, I would come to church, but you know, if I walked in the building, it would fall down. Or I'll wait till I get my life together before I come to church. Or my favorite, I don't like organized religion. My response to one of those is, you'd like it even less if it was disorganized. But you see, we are being called to the supper table of the king, and only a fool would not accept it. Second, we often put material things above and before our relationship with Christ. We can become preoccupied with getting stuff here on earth rather than focusing on the kingdom of God. Whether it be a new house or a new car, we'll spend much time and effort purchasing these things and then spend enormous efforts to pay for them and keep them. And in the end, we'll keep seeking the next best thing. We are never satisfied with what we have. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. No matter how much material gain we have here on earth, it will never be enough to pay the ransom for our souls. That was only accomplished by Christ on the cross. And yet another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This person puts others ahead of his relationship with Christ. When we put our relationship with Christ in second place, nothing works as God has intended it to work. None of our relationships work by putting God second. It is only by putting God first that our relationships work. Whether it be with our spouses, our children, one another, God's design has, is, and always will be God first. Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 21. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our relationship with our friends, our relationship with our fellow believers is based on putting God first. We can love because he loved us first. We serve because we follow Christ who was a servant. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the house, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The family unit is established by God, with God being the head of the family unit and the husband being the head of the family. Put God first. Ephesians 25, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We cannot be expected to love our wives as Christ if we don't put his relationship first. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to bring our children up to put God first. Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that your Lord your God has given you. Children are to honor their mother and father, and they only do that by putting God first. Our relationships were designed to function with God, not apart from God. 
So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. When those that were invited would not come, the master turned his attention to the outcast. The people of Israel always thought of themselves as God's chosen and special people. They felt no need to seek grace and mercy. They believed themselves to be righteous by birth. Yet when he invited them to his table, they refused. Jesus then sought after those who were outcast and in need of grace and mercy. These people could have come up with excuses. The poor could have said, I don't have the money to travel to the banquet, or I have to stay and, and make what little money I can because I'm so poor. The lame could have said, I can't walk that far, or the blind could say, I can't see to go. Yet they made no excuses. They were glad to attend. They were grateful for the grace and the mercy that was offered to them. They did not feel worthy, nor did they feel superior. But they came anyway. They came because they needed grace and mercy. They came because they knew that without the grace and mercy of Christ, they were doomed. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. When the house was still not full, the master commanded the servants to persuade others to come in. So is the call of every Christian. Charles Spurgeon said, So if we are to have many sinners saved, we must go out of our own quiet haunts and go forth into frequented places. We must preach in the streets or at the marketplace or on the village green. We are to make disciples of all nations. We can't do that if we stay at home. We can't do that if we make excuses. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know. There's no excuse for not expanding the kingdom of God. If you truly believe what you believe is really real, you should be shouting it from the rooftops. You should be screaming it to a lost world. You should be declaring it to a lost people. I often tell my atheist friends that when I die, I plan on taking as many of them with me as I can when I go. I would like nothing more than to see them all in heaven with me. There is an unfortunate church history, though, that took the concept of compelling others a little too far. Augustine, one of our great church fathers, once said, It was taken as a command to coerce people into the Christian faith. It was used as a defense of the Inquisition and the thumbscrew and the rack and the threat of death and imprisonment, the campaigns against heretics, all those things which are the shame of Christianity. Throughout church history, people were compelled to join the church, and this was done by horrible means, but never in the name of God. This is a prime example of one verse, though, one place in Scripture that, when taken out of context and to the extreme, it caused great harm. The lesson here is we must always be aware of what Scripture says, who said it, and what was the context of being said, so that we do not make assumptions that cause the gospel to suffer. Come now, for everything is ready. We don't have to wait for the kingdom of God, for it is at hand. Our king sits on his throne this very day is in control of all nations and all peoples. They are all subject to his rule. He is calling all to come to his table, to be nourished by his grace and by his mercy. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not ever thirst. There is nothing we can obtain on our earthly tables that can satisfy us like Christ. There is nothing we can own that can save us. There is no other person other than Christ that can save us. There is no excuse that is acceptable when the king 
calls you to his table. We all come up with excuses. We all have things that, that, that you know, just don't jive. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. There is no excuse. The kingdom of God is at hand. Today is the day. There is no procrastination when it comes to your salvation. God did not procrastinate. He sent his only son to be born of a virgin and to die on a cross, bearing the full weight of the sins that we committed, for he was sinless and he died. But he rose on the third day, defeating even death, and now sits at the right hand of God, commanding his kingdom. And that king has called you to sit at his table. He has offered the sinner grace and mercy, a seat at the table of the king. Who could ask for anything more? And today is the day to accept that invitation. Father, I pray that we don't make excuses. And when it comes to being obedient to you, there are no excuses. There are no excuses that are acceptable when you invite us to your table. We come willingly and humbly, sinners to the table of the King. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you have provided us. We thank you for the bread of life. We thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you look forward to the next podcast as we continue our trip down the road to the cross. But until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. The sun shine warmly upon your face and God hold you forever gently within his hands. <music>